Welcome to UF Vet Med Voice with the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. I'm Melanie Cole, and today my guest shares her studies of fish and other aquatic species to reveal a need to further study contaminants in water bodies and their impact on the environment and human health. We're discussing contaminants of concern in aquatic species, and joining me is Dr. Nancy Denslow. She's a professor and associate chair of physiological sciences and the director of UF's Aquatic Toxicology Laboratory in the Center for Environmental and Human Toxicology at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Denslow, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. So can you tell us a little bit about your work as an environmental toxicologist and molecular diagnostician with special interest in diseases of reptiles and amphibians? Tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, so my background is actually in biochemistry and molecular biology, and I'm also doing environmental toxicology. So I'm interested in contaminants that are out there in the environment and what they might be doing to the fish that live out in the environment. We use fish as a model because they are actually swimming in the water bodies where the contaminants are sometimes uh, appearing, you know, either from sewage wastewater or from actual runoff or some other way. But that's where the contaminants are appearing. Well, then let's expand on that, on the contaminants of concern in aquatic species and their really their impact on the environment. Can you share your research that involves developing and using molecular biomarkers to evaluate changes in gene expression depending on the stress or the exposure to those contaminants? So we use a, a variety of fish models for our work. We use largemouth bass because they're an apex fish and they are economically very important. And so fish swim where the contaminants are found, and they're sensitive to environmental contaminants, and their populations may be impacted. They're at the very top of the food chain, and they're eaten by people, so there's a connection to human health. So among the fish models that we use, as I mentioned, are, are largemouth bass, fathead minnows, zebrafish, mosquito fish, and other fish of that sort. Some are small fish and some are large fish, like the largemouth bass. And we've been interested, for example, in endocrine disruptors. So endocrine disruptors are chemicals that behave as hormones and interfere with how the endogenous hormones work. So they behave as estrogens or estrogen mimics or androgens or inhibit their metabolism of the endogenous hormones. And so if these hormones or, or mimics get into the fish, it can alter the physiology of the fish. So then the fish don't reproduce very well or they might have other issues. Among the chemicals that we have done a lot of work with are the legacy pesticides, such as the organochlorine pesticides. Well, then can you talk about the link between pesticide exposures as well as the linkages between those exposures and chronic disease like lupus? And as we know, our focus is on fish and aquatic species, but there are definitely translational aspects to this work as well as impact on humans and plants, right? Absolutely. So we've been in contact with the Lake Apopka farm workers, and this is a group of people that used to work the farms on the north shore of Lake Apopka, where a lot of pesticides were used in the past. 
while those pesticides were eliminated in the 1970s, you know, they still have pesticide residue in their blood. And many of them have lupus. So they didn't know, or we don't know exactly what the relationship is between the exposure to these pesticides and lupus. But when we take largemouth bass and expose them to the same contaminants that were used on those farms, such as DDE or methoxychlor or toxaphene and so on, we find that at the molecular level, it alters gene expression such that among the pathways that are found are the ones that we expected to see, the endocrine changes. For example, vitellogenin, some of these contaminants are estrogens, and they result in increasing the production of proteins or expression of genes that are controlled by estrogen, such as vitellogenin. So you see exactly what you expect, that these are endocrine disruptors. What we didn't know at the time we did the experiment was that these contaminants also alter immune function. And among the pathways that came up with our molecular analysis were pathways that were related to lupus. So perhaps there is a connection. I don't know if fish get lupus. They probably don't. But the pathways are conserved between fish and humans. And so if these pathways that are conserved in both animals are accelerated due to the contaminant exposure, it's possible and maybe even likely that the lupus that these farm workers are experiencing came from their previous exposures when they were working on the farms. They mentioned that the planes would fly overhead while they were out there picking fruits or vegetables, and they would spray them and spray their food, their water source. So they were fairly highly exposed, and they still had, like I said, still have residue of these pesticides in their blood that exceeds what normal people have that are above the 90th percentile that people have shown for the NHANES. And NHANES is a National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. And some of these people even still had DDT in their blood, which is amazing after so many years that we could measure that in their blood. So they must have been exposed heavily to these chemicals. Wow. It's really amazing what you can find out even so many years later. Dr. Denslow, so tell us how the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine has built a reputation as a leader in the area of environmental toxicology due to this pioneering research we're discussing here today. Tell us a little bit about your team and what you do. So at our center, we have excellent faculty members. All of us do environmental research. We each have a different aspect that we work on mostly, but several of us work fish, but we also work with other animal models. For example, I have a graduate student working with manatees, and so she is an expert on that. And also we work with rodents in the facility and so on. But we all are worried about contaminants of emerging concern and whether they might have an effect on these animal models that we work with or even with people. So we have a group in our center that does risk assessment 
and they're excellent at doing that as well. So together, we all work very nicely, you know, and we help each other out, and we do projects together and um, write papers together. And so it's really fun to be part of this group. Well, building on that body of work that's including the pioneering development of molecular tools and biomarkers, as we were talking a little bit before, to evaluate fish and fish health. How do you see this translating to humans and even other species and plants? What are some of the possible implications of your research and what we've been discussing here? Well, as I mentioned already, fish are vertebrates and so are humans. And so many of the molecular pathways that exist in humans also exist in fish. And so instead of using a rat model or some other mammalian model, we could use fish directly, which is less worrisome in terms of animal usage. And so because the molecular pathways are the same, we can determine in the fish if there is a particular pathway that is affected by an exposure to a contaminant of emerging concern. And of course, right now, endocrine disruption has been something that for the last 20 years, people have begun to notice that there are a lot of contaminants out in the environment that alter the responses of physiology and that these interfere with normal hormone work in the body. For example, interfere with estrogen signaling or androgen signaling or or so on. And so we're all very concerned about that because if it affects fish, it probably also affects humans. It's fascinating. And as we wrap up, Dr. Denslow, I understand you're also looking at emerging problems such as what happens to fish when hydraulic fracturing or fracking fluid produces during extreme forms of energy production contaminates our lakes and ponds. Can you briefly describe this work for the listeners and what you would like the takeaway from this podcast to be? It's so important. Yes, we've been working with fracking produced waters. And so these are When fracking occurs, they inject uh, high-pressure water into the system to help release the gas, and that water that's used gets recycled. And also, they have chemicals that are introduced into that water, among which are acrylamide, and I guess that helps to stabilize the underground when they fracture it to release the gas. So these produced waters actually contain a lot of elements in them and contain polyaromatic hydrocarbons. And so we did an exposure of fathead minnows with these waters and found that they could be very toxic. But at the molecular level, what was fascinating was to see that they really turned on pathways that were related to cancer. So I think exposure to these kinds of waters is something that we don't want people to have, and they need to be regulated, these waters, and maybe they have to figure out a way to dispose of them correctly so that they do not enter uh, waterways and harm the aquatic biota or even people that might use that water for drinking water or some other source. Such important research that you're doing. Dr. Denslow, thank you so much for joining us today to listen to more podcasts from the experts at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. Please visit vetmed.ufl.edu. That concludes today's episode of UF Vet Med Voice, brought to you by the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine, advancing animal, human, and environmental health. 
I'm Melanie Cole.